Hello and welcome to the Spectator's Americano podcast, a special series of discussions about the biggest political event of this year, the 2016 US presidential election. My name's Freddie Gray and I'm deputy editor of The Spectator. I'm joined today by Thomas Frank, who in my opinion is the best writer on the American left. He writes about the interplay between American politics and culture and he's most famous for his book, What's the Matter with Kansas? His latest book is addressed to the crisis that's going on within the Democratic Party and it's called Listen Liberal, Whatever Happened to the Party of the People. In this episode, we're going to talk about Hillary Clinton and what her presidency might look like. Tom, there's a sense, I think, uh, in America and certainly abroad that after Trump's fairly spectacularly bad performance in the debate on Monday night, that the election is now back into strong favoritism for Hillary Clinton. Uh, Is that the impression you have? Yes, but I don't think it ever, you know, Hillary Clinton ever stopped being a strong favorite. She has, by all the conventional standards, you know, she should win this thing. And she's been ahead since the very beginning. And it's never it's never really been close. Now, he has uh, from time to time got within five points of her or so in the uh, popular in, in the polls. But, you know, look, these things are decided aren't aren't decided that way. They're yeah. decided in a sort of state by state way, and it depends on on uh, you know how you get the vote out and what kind of machine you have, you know what kind of operation you have, I should say. And uh, there, it's not clear to me that Trump has has anything. Yes, and and she's obviously got this very formidable machine. Yeah, that's right. Is that the police in in London? That's the police in I London. I thought they yeah. had a different siren over there. That, no, <laughs> no, we've, we we copy American yeah, sirens. That's now. so depressing. You say so you guys just copy us all the time. Why would you do that? I don't know. I don't know. Our politicians copy you a lot too. <laughs> I'm dreading that they're going to copy Hillary Clinton. <laughs> but you've already been through all that, Tony Blair, right? You already went through that whole cycle of of Clinton copying. Remember? Well, I, I think I think as soon as Jeremy Corbyn dies we'll have another round of of clintonism <laughs> yeah probably that i mean the, the theme of this podcast is what do you think we can now we should probably start thinking about a clinton presidency because it seems almost inevitable now that we're about to have four yeah, years but, but, but you know now that i just said that there's there's a you know a caveat there you know with everything i just said and that's the word conventional so i said um that by every conventional standard hillary clinton uh should be you know is going to beat him Okay, fair enough. But everything this year has been uh, a surprise. So, you know, who the hell knows what's what's really going to happen? Uh, Trump certainly deserves to lose. I mean, this is a this is a terrible man. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, a lot of people think Hillary's a pretty terrible woman. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So it's a competition of terribles. The uh, liberals and the Democrats are completely motivated by hatred of Trump. And I mean completely. You open up your New York Times today. I mean, there is two of two of the four op-eds are denouncing Trump. But this is this is routine. That might actually be a, a low number. Some days it's all four, you know. Yeah. Uh, Washington Post is the same kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, everybody is there. It's it's like they are, uh, you know, they're fascinated by the the evil of Trump. Absolutely fascinated by it. Now, I went to the Republican convention, and it's the it's this sort of mirror image. Uh, it's all about how 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 bad and how evil Hillary Clinton is. They had this chant there. <laughs> Do you remember this? Were you, did, did you guys yeah. watch it on TV? Lock her up. Yeah, lock her up. Lock her yeah. up. Bizarre, you know. Yes. I mean, there's a sense, isn't there, that the Republican Party has has had a sort of moment of reckoning from its base. As I suppose they've sort of courted their base every four years and then ignored them over issues such as immigration. And finally, with Trump, 
they've been sort of humiliated and punished by the base. That hasn't actually happened with the Democrats yet. I mean, it nearly happened with Bernie Sanders. Exactly, exactly. So the Democrats, the, the Democrat in the Democratic Party, the the establishment held on, and yeah. they really managed. To, it's it's actually kind of interesting when you compare the two party organizations. That the Democrats, who are supposedly the more you know closer to the people, uh, you know the more populist of the two, in the Democratic Party, the party organization was able to uh, suppress the challenge from Sanders, and in the you know they they wanted Hillary Clinton, and they just weren't going to take any other answer. She was going to be the candidate and every element of the party machinery was agreed on that and uh you know they, they did everything in their power uh, to stop sanders the republican party just fell apart there there yeah. was no you know uh, party machinery uh, able to you know to stop trump or to settle on a you know a, a candidate of orthodoxy and i think that's exactly right that the base has come back to haunt them so you know all those years ago i wrote what's the matter with kansas about uh, working class conservatism, you know, or or can, maybe conservatism is the wrong word. It's just the the sort of stage of working class politics that we're, that we're in right now, where you've got all these uh, working class people voting for Republicans based on culture war issues, and then they they are you know their lives get worse and worse and worse as the Republicans deliver more you know tax cuts and uh, and uh, deregulation and you know wars in Iraq, you know all this sort of thing, and and these people finally uh, were demanding that someone pay attention to their uh, real world complaints yes. specifically to the on the trade issue that was that's the biggest one and uh, yes that is exactly what happened uh, i mean the republican party orthodoxy the, or the republican party machinery is entirely free market orthodoxy on trade issues and trump trump is completely the opposite and he he ran right over them with that it was it's uh, amazing what happened uh, but i mean you talk about deregulation and and iraq and foreign wars i mean hillary clinton is a perfect example of, of a politician that's been behind that all the way, isn't she not? Yeah, all three of those things. Uh, although, the, well, I'm, I'm talking about her husband here, you know, yeah. you know, the tax cuts, the Clintons uh, engineered a big capital gains tax cut when he was uh, in the White House, the, you know, and of course, deregulation, that was that's that's what the Clinton administration was all about was uh, was deregulation. And Hillary was, well, that's something where we don't really know her opinion about it. But I mean, you there's you know, she is very friendly with the Wall Street banks and yeah. uh, and wars. I mean, this is yes, she is. She so all of those things more or less could uh, could describe her, although now she's running in the opposite direction. She's running as, as something very different. Yes. Uh, I mean, is there a sense among progressives and Democrats in America that Clinton has had enough of a fright from the Bernie Sanders phenomenon that once in office, she will actually be more of a progressive anti-globalist figure. You want my opinion or do you want what people think here? I want uh, your opinion, first of all, and then what people think. Uh, my opinion is, is that Sanders is now completely irrelevant and that, that doesn't matter to her. She just did a big rally with him yesterday. And the only thing that she wants from him is his appeal to the young. OK, uh, so there's the thing she's worried about. You know, it seems like a, a silly thing to worry about when you're as far ahead as she is. But she's worried about about uh, young people going voting for uh, third party candidates. And uh, Sanders is, you know, ideally situated to talk young people out of doing that. OK, so she she's concerned about that. Other than that, no, she's not uh, interested in his issues any longer. On this side of the Atlantic, we read a lot about Clinton's reams and reams of policy documents being churned out. And there's something called the New College Compact, which is obviously trying to appeal to those millennial type voters who are drawn to Sanders, saying that, you know, she will help people go to college, she will help cover student debt. I mean, do you think those things are just going to vanish as soon as she gets into office? Or do you think she's actually going to? Yeah, and- 
they are because think about – I mean she has to deal with the Republican Congress. I doubt they will even try. Look, President Obama could have done all sorts of things on the on the college front. There's lots of things that the president can do unilaterally yeah. with higher education in this country, and he hasn't even – he has no interest in it. This is one of their uh, – the Democrats – one of their biggest bases of support is the higher ed industry. And I use the word industry even though these are supposedly not-for-profit institutions. Look at who donates to these people, to these politicians. Go down the list of Barack Obama's big donors from 08 and from 2012, and it's all higher ed. Well, higher ed and – if you look at 08, it's higher ed and Wall Street. That's you know one of their biggest constituencies. Of course they're not going to do that. And you know I'd go a little further on this. I mean to, to get away from this issue specifically of higher ed, you know, there's an issue that I know something about. But to get away from this issue and to uh, to talk about her, you know, the direction of her campaign generally, she is right now the, the 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 thing that she cares the most about is reaching out to disaffected Republicans. There's this big display of this at the Democratic convention, and it has only picked up steam ever since then. And there's just another big big name Republican came over to her side just the other day. It's going on constantly, and that's the 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 group of voters that she is reaching out to. You're sort of moderate Republicans. Now these people are that's that's how the Clintons that's where the Clintons come from that's what Clintonism is all about is basically making the Democratic Party into a vehicle of that that in say the 1950s would have been Republican policies and that's that's their idea of what the Democratic Party yes. should be now again I'm pro- I'm projecting onto her the views of her husband a big tent Democrat party. yeah that's right I mean they, it is the same party they're very she and her husband are obviously share a lot of the same ideas and what about foreign policy because I suppose for progressive something Obama has been quite good on is foreign policy. I mean, he hasn't been a dream president by any any stretch of the imagination. But I think we've, we've seen a sort of withdrawing of American interventionism in the Middle East, or at least just knee-jerk American interventionism to some degree. To some degree, yeah. I lived in Chicago when the uh, Iraq war started, and my state mm. senator was Barack Obama. He lived in, He lived in my neighborhood. And I remember that you know the thing that made him president, that allowed him to beat Hillary, was his opposition to the Iraq War. And I remember the I didn't go to the rally where he uh, where he gave the famous speech about how it was a stupid war. But all my friends went to that. Right? This was he was he was legendary for doing this. And yeah, he did pull out of the Iraq War, and that was a, a great thing. But uh, to say that the, that the that U.S. interventionism has, I mean, it has it has been rolled back in the sense that we aren't starting wars under bogus. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, for bogus reasons any longer, you know, and that's a good thing. But the, uh, you know, the drone strikes. God, just the other day, I was reading in in a, one of the two newspapers that I read. I get them confused all the time. You know, the New York Times and the Washington Post. That uh, over the course of one weekend, we were bombing four different countries. This is right now, right now. No, that's the funny thing, isn't it? For for all the talk of Obama withdrawing from the world, you are in four um, sort of almost subterranean wars. Yes, yeah, and it is it is you know highly ironic that he got the Nobel <laughs> Peace Prize yeah. you know, uh, before he'd even gotten started on this stuff. And So do you, do you think in, in foreign affairs, do you think Clinton will be a, a, just a continuation of Obama in, in, in that sense? I think slightly more hawkish. She's always been, in the, as far as we know, in the sort of cabinet meetings and uh, you know, the, in the gatherings of the, you know, the Obama administration, his closest advisors, that she was always one of the more hawkish ones. Yeah. So I, th- I think there's that. There's also the problem with, with people being perceived as being on the left here in America, people perceived as being liberals, which Hillary Clinton certainly is. You remember, I'm older than you probably. 
But back in the 1990s, basically people thought she was a communist. And the problem with – this is a a recurring phenomenon in the US that people who come from that – you know who are who are understood that way do take all of these actions to sort of uh you know uh fight back against that perception of themselves the classic example is lyndon johnson in the vietnam war i mean th- this was uh he knew better than that you know yeah. he, th- this was a mistake from start to finish but he had to prove to the world that he wasn't soft on communism you know and the, uh, kennedy as well and they they constantly have to do this and uh, this leads them into all sorts of adventures and disasters. Jimmy Carter going to rescue the hostages in Iran. You know, what a great idea. Um, <laughs> you know, ar- arming the, uh, the Mujahideen in, in Afghanistan. But there's many, many, many examples of, of liberals overcompensating for this perception. And I think with Hillary, especially being the first woman president, uh, you're going to see that. I would expect to see that. But the, the, this is the, 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 in terms of international relations, the great American disease, is it not? You, you cannot stop yourself from trying to be the good guy on the world stage. And I think Hillary has, if she wrote that book, It Takes a Village. She wants America to, to reassert itself. Uh, yes. Well, look, there's, I mean, there's interesting echoes of all this stuff coming out now, because of course, that has been the default American position since World War II. But before World War II, no, the US never got involved uh, overseas. You know, World War one was regarded as this catastrophic mistake and the country retreated into i mean it's a bad word now they retreated into what they called isolationism and what's funny is that trump actually has uh you know suggested a lot of fondness for that era his his stupid slogan you know america first america first yeah it comes it comes straight out that was the slogan of the people who didn't want us to get involved in world war ii (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, it, which was a really a misguided, you know, really misguided moment. But he's taken that as his as his slogan. But also he's found not just among disaffected Republicans, but also I would imagine among a few Bernie Sanders fans that there's there's quite a lot of popularity for this seemingly isolationist position. <laughs> I don't know. Americans very it's not many Americans vote on foreign policy issues. By the way, this is a really interesting point. Foreign policy is never, you know, dispositive for American voters. Almost almost never. But the, and and one of the things that this permits is that you have this community of foreign policy experts here in Washington, D.C., who basically run the show. And there's Republican experts and there's Democratic experts, and they're, they're all really good friends with each other, and it's this little uh, community of professional expertise. And uh, it doesn't really matter who's, who's in office. You know, it's, there's, you get one, <laughs> one wing of the beast or the other wing, you know. Yeah. And uh, uh, Hillary Clinton is very tight with these people. So when, when the country doesn't pay any attention to foreign policy except for in the most outrageous circumstances like the Iraq war, that when the, you know, the country – other than that, the country basically doesn't care about it. It permits that whole area of policymaking to be basically turned over to this little clique of people. Uh, and yeah, Hillary is very close with them. Uh, Trump is obviously not. You know, but I don't think that Trump has. If if Trump ever had any appeal to uh, to to uh, you know left voters on that basis, I think it's rapidly uh, you know evaporating. I've never heard of anybody. Well, okay, I've heard of like one or two people you know who are, who, who think he's okay in that regard. Yeah. A, a while ago, we had a piece in the Spectator from Christopher Buckley, a, a former Republican speechmaker and conservative writer, saying, you know, if you think Americans are angry now, wait for four years of Hillary Clinton and just see how angry they are. 
I imagine you'd probably agree with that point. Well, yes, you know, for the simple reason that it's going to be a continuation of the Obama years. And the Obama years started with this sort of great hope in the middle of a crisis. We expected this man to do all these, uh, you know, to, to, to deliver various things, which he didn't. Uh, and there's this enormous disappointment. Well, Hillary Clinton is not even starting with that. You know, there is no there is no idealism about Hillary Clinton. If she wins the White House, it's going to be because people hate and fear and distrust Donald Trump. Yes. Well, in fact, that, that might actually be, that might actually be a big advantage for her when she gets in is that <laughs> yes, I mean, expectations are set so low. <laughs> You know, that's actually a very good point. Expectations are very low. So it'll be if she delivers even the slightest kind of, you know, prosperity or something. If you had asked me this a month ago, I would have said that's exactly right. What Christopher Buckley said is exactly right, because inequality in this country has been growing since the 1980s. And it's already at this sort of, you know, you have this kind of permanent simmering working class outrage in America that never gets any better. Well, we just had some, you know, we just had some very good numbers coming out of the, I forget what, the Census Bureau or, but at any rate, it looks like there finally was some middle class, you know, some growth in middle class incomes in America in the last year, which we haven't seen in a very long time. And that's, that's a good sign. Now, whether that's permanent change or just a, you know, momentary uptick or something like that, who the hell knows, Mm. you know, we're going to find out. But, you know, one of the sort of funny things about, uh, about Hillary is that a lot of her appeal, uh, it rests on memories of the 1990s. And what, you know, the great prosperity of the 1990s. And frankly, that's, you know, that's a recipe for disaster because that's not something that you can replicate. You know, you can't go back and deregulate banks again. Yes. Well, (laughs) you know, you can't you can't provoke a stock bubble again. There was maybe you can. Maybe there's a way. I don't know. There was a very odd moment a a few months ago when she I think she said to I can't remember who she was talking to, but she was talking to a sort of depressed former industrial heartland town. And she said, you know, Bill will come in and be my economic czar. Yes, that's right. I I wrote about that in The Guardian. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What a a great idea that would be. Right. She's trying to. Win win support based on a, an old nostalgia for for an era that nostalgia, but it was by the way. So you know, you look at uh, Bill Clinton in a historical light. You know, looking back at his presidency, and people are people often remember his presidency with great fondness. This is a they like him, you know, and that's one of the sort of mysteries that I tried to unpack in Listen Liberal. Why do people? Why are they fond of Bill Clinton? What did he do? You know, because you look at his actual deeds, and they weren't that wonderful. Yeah, I mean, they were they were kind of awful, really. Does it just come down to charisma? No, it comes down to the, that the economy boomed. So we had three years of you know rapid growth, and uh, you know wages actually grew, uh, yeah. kept pace with inflation, and that's basically the only time in a lot of people's lives when that happened. Certainly in my in my working life, that's the only time when that happened. Yeah, uh, because it's a, the only time it happened since the 1970s, the early 1970s is those three years in the 1990s. And, you know, of course, it was the result of a stock market bubble, you know, the NASDAQ bubble, and the, the sort of internet bubble. But people don't remember that. They just remember that it was a boom time, and they felt good. And they, you know, they think fondly of the man. You know, and by that light, the greatest president in American history was Calvin Coolidge, right? <laughs> because, <Yeah. laughs> because the stock market was just completely out of control in the 1920s. The economy was growing like crazy in the 1920s. But that, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, so Hillary does uh, play on that nostalgia, you know, which is very powerful 
uh, sort of thing. But no, she'll never be able to live up to that. So I think I my suspicion is that we are in a kind of long term decline for uh, for the working class in this country. And that, yes, the anger will get worse and worse and worse and inequality will get worse and worse and worse. We do have this uptick this year. You know, I don't know what the numbers are telling us. Maybe that'll go away. Maybe that'll continue. My my bet is that things will, will continue to uh, continue to slide. Inequality will continue to get worse. And four years from now, you'll have just insane public outrage. Well, we'll see. Yeah, I, sh- I, ha- I hate to make predictions like that. The thing is that you'll. Well, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you to make a prediction. Well, the big question is: Will you have another? Will Trump? you have another Trump on the Republican side? And then could Hillary have two terms? Yes, she could. But uh, of course, but will you have another Sanders? Is the is the real question? And I don't think you will because Hillary will, of course, want two terms. And it's very difficult to unseat yeah. a sitting president from within the party. You know, the only, the only that happened to Lyndon Johnson, but that was you know an unusual circumstance. You had the Vietnam War. But I suppose that happened. That depends on how how roundly she defeats Trump. Whether the Republican exactly, Party sort of reforms exactly. itself. And- so will the Republican Party? Go back to what it was before, you know, the sort of Mitt Romney, George Bush Republican Party, which, you know, where they they keep this lid on working class voters where they, you know, those are the people that are expected to turn out and vote for them, but they get nothing. And the candidates may, you know, and they all they get is the culture wars, you know, will they go back to that or will they continue down the path of Trump, which is, you know, the thing about Trump is everybody can sense this, that Trumpism is powerful stuff. Trump himself is just just unbelievable charlatan, you know, this horrible, uh, you know, buffoon, this clown, this, uh, you know, hate spewing. He, he's an awful politician. Isn't that awful? And in some in some ways, you have to regard his successes as that he ha- having achieved these things despite his personality, you know, his awful political skills. He's like the worst politician ever. Yes. You know, to go, to, go down the list of ethnic groups and insult them all, you know, like what the hell? kind of politician does that so you think about this trumpism minus trump that's very powerful i could see that but i think the i mean part of the appeal of trump is it's very odd postmodern he's not actually serious he's, he is a complete joke it's a sort of reality tv phenomenon so so therefore i mean if you had a trump who was actually genuinely smart canny a good speech maker yeah he would be he would be pat buchanan and pat buchanan was never good Ooh, ooh, yeah 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 that's right who was also kind of who was also his presidential run was also based in his tv celebrity remember yeah Yeah, buchanan had a lot of a a lot of strikes against him also but that's uh, that's an interesting comparison so sorry we're supposed to be talking about hillary always a temptation here is to get distracted by trump because he's such a thing but i mean i i so you think that after four years of hillary clinton not much will have changed in it will be a, a, a continuation of Obama, really. Perhaps with a few more bombs. Yeah, well, she she is good. She promises. She promises that it will be. So, but it'll be Obama minus the hope. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you know, you know, that's uh, with Obama. You had, you know, first of all, you had a Democratic Congress when he came in. You had this great sort of feeling that he was going to be the Franklin Roosevelt of our time. You yeah. know, and um, and and none of that happened, yeah. uh, or it happened in a like very pale, like in a minuscule sort of way. And um, with her, there's none of that sense. There's no uh, there's no feeling that this is a moment of great idealism or great possibility. None of that. Yeah. It's I mean, I'm actually fascinated. I'm going to write at some point about. I'm fascinated by people who are really idealistic about Hillary, and they're you know they do exist. And not only do they exist, they are heavily represented in our in our media, in the in the you know the op-ed pages. So it's very easy to look up their opinions. Who, who actively 
think she's going to be a great president. What is it? is that a is that a sort of identity politics thing because she's a woman because she she seems to be progressive in a very sort of superficial way? Oh, I don't know the answer. I, I want to work on that a little. I mean, I want to write about it because it is kind of a mystery. It's not entirely because she's a woman. It's, that's part of it. It's also it's 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 her politics. It's the '60s. You know, she comes from this particular generation, and not just from that generation, but from a very particular part of that generation, you know, and she's undoubtedly going to be the last sort of uh, president from the uh, from the 1960s. It's funny that that are, you know, that the boomer generation, which this is a period that I, I, I've written about a lot, by the way, the 1960s, you know, the boomer generation for which everybody had such enormous hopes and idealism is going to be entirely represented in the uh, in the White House by by two people named Clinton. <laughs> Unless you count Obama as part of that generation, but he doesn't really fit. He's more of the generation that came after that, or yeah, George Bush. Yeah. Tom, just very quickly, last question. I think it's fair to say you'll probably be quite gloomy on November 9th, uh, no matter what happens. Oh, I don't know. I, I'm, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton's an intelligent person. She's going to be a fine president. She's going to be perfectly okay. The thing is that there's no, except for on the foreign policy side, where I, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little bit fearful. Okay, but she's not going to be a George Bush. You know, she's not going to be this awful kind of, uh, you know, worst president of all time. We're not going to have that again. You know, she has her failings, her her penchant for secrecy. But look, she's uh, I'll repeat what everybody is saying in this country. She's intelligent. She knows how Washington works. She knows how to get things done uh, in D.C. In fact, the one aspect of her personality that worries me the most is that she is very prone to compromise. She loves co- the idea of compromise. She thinks that's a good thing in and of itself. And that might lead her to, to uh, you know, to give the Republican Congress all sorts of things that Obama wouldn't. I think that's the that's the real risk. But no, she's not going to do anything great, but she'll be a competent administrator. And that's that's OK. You know, I can live with that. So I won't be I won't be really sad, but uh, look, Just maybe what, a bit what's, maybe what's, a bit bored. What's, yeah, yeah, exactly. What's far more interesting about our era is like like I said that the uh, media commentary about this I mean I've never seen the, uh, the the newspapers in America behave the way they have during this campaign they're openly taking sides first against Bernie Sanders and now against uh, Donald Trump just openly right out there the news stories uh, you know the op-ed pages everybody it's, it makes no difference they're they're yeah. that's really I think I think it's very odd for us because in in Britain you know our, our newspapers tend to be quite sort of that's right uh, over there you they, they do, we, yeah. we don't take our responsibility to be objective as seriously as you guys but <laughs> uh, it's been very funny to watch the New York Times sort of come out and say this is the time to be engaged journalists not yeah. Yes, that's that's right, and uh, and yes, they're doing that, and that is that is a very interesting story, and I'm I'm fascinated by that. And there's, I mean, there's all sorts of other ancillary uh, sides to this. The story of what's happening with the white working class is fascinating. Yeah, you know, their grand transition from left to right uh, over the last eighty years—that's an amazing story. I mean, uh, that's a terrifying, that's a really sad story. But that's you know, I've been working on that for decades, and that's uh, well, not decades since what's matter with Kansas 12 years ago. And that's, you know, going to continue. Yeah, it's very interesting times to be uh, someone that writes about these things. But no, politics is going to be real boring. for a couple of years i hope we could get you back on another podcast to talk about one of those other things sure anytime man all right thanks very much and that's all for now but please join us again for the next americano podcast 